Good morning. Welcome this 25th Sunday after Pentecost to Queen Anne Lutheran Church, proclaiming the love of God in Christ for every person. Whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or somewhere on the spectrum in between those two, it is great to see each of you. A few reminders as we begin our service. As always, we invite you to silence your phones as a gift to yourself and to your neighbor. We ask, secondly, that you remain masked throughout the entire service. If you're having trouble singing, please don't push yourself. Let the congregation carry you in song. If you have any concerns during the service, an usher in the back can assist you. Those ushers will dismiss you by pew once uh, the service has been completed. Finally, we encourage you, although it's less important today, but uh, generally speaking, we encourage you to sit in the middle of the, the pews so that uh, latecomers um, and others, latecomers uh, can sit on the, on the edges if, if necessary. Finally, if you would like to hear this service again or know of someone who would, an audio recording of it will be made available online. We pray for you and for those who might be listening later online to continue to be safe and well. We begin our service in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is fitting as we approach Advent that the readings today begin wrapping up the church year by telling of the final resurrection and the end time. Consider what they forecast. Anguish, famines, earthquakes, and war. In the turmoil of fear, these predict predictions may inspire within us one where things seem to be falling apart these days. Where do we find hope? Where can we find the good news? Please rise as you are able for our gathering hymn as we gather at your table, number 522 in the red hymnal.
We continue on page three of your bulletin. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. victory for our God. Alleluia. Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, your power is evident in your capacity to empty it and join us amid our struggles. Give us courage for today and hope for tomorrow as we work toward the fulfillment of your kingdom through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated.
The first reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The book of Daniel is an example of apocalyptic literature, which is full of strange vis- visions and symbolism. Arising during the times of great persecution, apoleptic uh, literature is concerned with God's revelation about the end time and the coming kingdom of God, when God will vindicate the righteous who have been persecuted. A reading from the book of Daniel. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who was found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Word of God, word of life.
The second reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning with the 11th verse. Images of worship and sacrifice are used throughout Hebrews to highlight what Christ has uniquely accomplished through his death. Because we have received forgiveness through Christ's death, we live with sincere hearts by trusting in God's promises and encouraging love and good works from each other. A reading from the letter of Hebrews. Every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since then he has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the gospel acclamation. Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, 
one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and peace to each of you from God, the source of life, and from Jesus, who is the Christ of God. Amen. Try this. I have long believed that a reliable test for determining the overall quality of a movie is whether you find yourself thinking about it the next day. Is that true, Carol Ann? Okay, our leader of faith and film says that is true. I apply the same test to literature. If a story or poem comes back to me even a day after I read it, something about it, generally speaking, must be good, right? Now imagine, assuming my test has some validity to it, if a poem remains in the mind of a reader not merely for a day, a week, or even a month, but for a quarter of a century. Clearly something about it resonated with that person, something lasting, something he or she could recall without effort. This was my experience of a poem I read in college by William Butler Yeats, a man the Norton Anthology of English Literature describes as, quote, beyond question the greatest 20th century poet of the English language, end quote. The poem itself contains just two stanzas, as well as a few technical terms I will explain momentarily. For now, however, I invite you simply to listen as I read it to you, letting what you do not understand wash over you while paying attention to the feeling, if any, the poem inspires within you. Yeats called this poem, The Second Coming. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. 
The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of the spirit of the world troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the desert birds. The darkness drops again. But now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. Now take a moment to reflect on what you've heard. What impression does the poem leave with you? Would you describe it as dark, sinister, foreboding, or to use a complex literary term, just plain creepy? What about its language? What word or phrase stood out to you? Was it the observation that anarchy has been loosed upon the world? Or was it an image, something you can easily picture in your mind, like the gaze blank of a beast with the head of a man slouching toward Bethlehem, longing to be born? What strange imagery. Let's see if we can unpack it a little more. For starters, did you notice the reference to the rocking cradle? This is the cradle of the infant Christ. How do we know? Because the lines that follow tell us how, after 20 centuries, the cradle will be filled again in Bethlehem. Only now the one thing it will, only now the one thing filling it will not be the Prince of Peace but the prince of darkness, the Antichrist, he whom the beast in this poem represents. The Antichrist appears, in short, to unleash chaos upon the world. His blank gaze implies a total lack of soul and conscience. He sows distrust and spreads lies. Perhaps, you can see why this poem has stuck with me all these years. I can't shake its imagery, and it feels like the chaos about to be unleashed upon our world, like in the poem, is at our doorstep, doesn't it? I mean, as Americans place their faith in conspiracy theories while losing their faith in the outcome of elections, is not our very democracy being stretched to its limits? Are not, as Yates says, things falling apart? Is it not true that the center 
the center cannot hold. Now, how do we make even better sense of this poem? Some context, I think, will help. Yeats wrote The Second Coming in January of 1919. The First World War had just ended. Millions across Europe were dead. The Spanish flu, a name we all now recognize, would pile on more casualties. By the end of 1920, it would seize the lives of an additional 50 million people across the globe, one of whom was my great-grandmother, another of whom was my great-great-uncle. The second coming accordingly expresses Yeats' sense of the disillusion of the civilization of his time, the end of one cycle, or gyre in the first line, of history and the approach of another. And Yeats's speculation did not end there. What would happen, he wondered, if the coming era constituted the beginning of something worse, something a world war followed by an epidemic had merely begun to anticipate? What if something wicked this way was coming, something to which the signs of the present age, wars and rumors of wars, were pointing? What, in short, if the bleak was followed by the unspeakable? That was Yeats's question. What if the bleak was followed by the unspeakable? Now, Jesus lived in an era radically different than Yeats. Both men, however, found themselves in a climate where uncertainty and social unrest gave rise to apocalyptic thinking. Dark times lie ahead, Jesus tells his disciples in Mark 13, our gospel reading for today. Consider the temple in Jerusalem. You may find its size impressive, Jesus says to them, but it will fall. Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Obviously, this causes great concern among the disciples. After all, the temple had been the physical center of their faith as Jews for centuries. Here, their temple priests observed the ritual practices described in the book of Leviticus. Here, the people came to it to tithe and to worship God. The buildings, moreover, had survived the occupation of the Seleucids, the Greeks, and eventually the Romans. How could God let it be torn down? You can imagine the desperation of Jesus' closest followers, the inner circle of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, when they asked him about the time at which these things would take place. You might also imagine their frustration when they receive what appears to be a rather vague response. Beware that no one leads you astray, Jesus tells them. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. Who could Jesus possibly have in mind when he refers to those who will lead his followers astray? Might it have been 
The Presbyterians. No, something else. But what on earth, what on earth is he talking about here? Once again, some context will help. Mark's account of Jesus appeared shortly before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Can you guess who was emperor? Nero, almost up to 70 AD. He was famous, as you may know, for persecuting Christians. In fact, he is the identity of the beast in the book of Revelation. Many scholars think Mark had a special connection to Peter, whom he invariably names before any of the other disciples. In Mark, it's often Peter and the other guys, Peter and the other disciples. It is also possible that Mark was written in Rome, where, at least according to Catholic tradition, Peter was crucified upside down for following Christ. Do you know why? Because it was said that Peter felt himself unworthy to die in the same manner that Christ had before him. Peter, as you also may know, was illiterate, presumably as a fisherman, and it may have been the author of this text who may himself have been martyred, there's a clue about that at the end of the book, uh, who was Peter's secretary, who took uh, Peter's words and put them in print. Mark's audience, in short, would have been Christians suffering, like Peter, uh, the persecution under Nero. Because of their situation, these Christians may have been tempted to follow other self-proclaimed messiahs or Christs who tried to overthrow Nero and his government. We know at least two in the New Testament. One was Judas the Galilean, who, according to Acts 5.27, rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished and all who followed him were scattered. The other one was, can you guess? He's called a bandit and a robber, Barabbas. Some gospels give him the first name of Jesus. Barabbas means son of the father. So a Messiah, but a false one. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John refers to Barabbas as a bandit or a thief. In the first century, however, these terms mean something different than someone who steals. Josephus, a Jewish historian of the same period, equates the word bandit with a person involved in a riot, a violent revolutionary, or an anarchist. Like Judas the Galilean, bandits or thieves would have been men who took up arms against Rome, leading those who followed them like sheep to their slaughter as Roman soldiers stomped them into oblivion. Jesus explicitly contrasts himself with the thieves and bandits here in John's gospel. While bandits, that is, violent revolutionaries, lead people to their destruction, Jesus, the good shepherd, leads them to abundant life as it says in John 10.10. He leads them to still waters, as Psalm 23.2 puts it. He is the true Christ, the one who invites his followers to be peacemakers, to settle disputes, and to love their enemies, something no rabbi before Jesus had taught 
and no Christ after him would follow. It can be tempting when things seem to be falling apart, to use the words of Yeats, to place our trust in authority figures who divide us, who lie, or who promote violence as the necessary means to a higher good or goal. January 6th of this year made me realize how many of our fellow Americans, including some of our fellow Christians, have placed their trust in just such people. Look at the suffering and destruction that followed. Look at the toll it took on our nation's capital, as well as the democratic process itself. This may be the way of Judas the Galilean, the violent revolutionary who led his followers to their destruction, but it is not the way of Jesus Christ. When it feels like the center cannot hold, we must ask ourselves what it means to follow the true Christ, the good shepherd. Can we love, for example, in a way that resists injustice and oppression? Can we fight without fists? Can we stand up without making others fall? I believe, I believe we can, but not by ourselves. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We also need the help of hope. Yeats, we recall, ended the second coming with the powerful image of a beast, a symbol of the diabolical, which was vying for birth, for embodiment in Bethlehem so that chaos could be unleashed. The bleak would presumably give way to the unspeakable, the First World War and the Spanish flu were only signs, it would seem, of the darkness that was soon to fall. In our gospel reading for today, however, things are different. Granted, it appears that the center cannot hold. After all, as Jesus says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Yet do not be alarmed, Jesus adds, for this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The beginning of the birth pangs. Of course, we hear the similarity here between Yates and Jesus. After the end of terrible things, including wars, or in this case, the Great War, something new will be born. We also hear a major difference. This something, according to Jesus, will be God's new creation. Anarchy may have been loosed upon Jesus' followers, but something good will come out of this. A new creation, the kingdom of God, is at hand. Let us pray. Merciful God, Give us faith and courage to persist even when it seems like the center will not hold. Help us resist the false messiahs who do not know the way of peace and inspire us to remember not only the words of great poets, but more importantly, the words, the life-giving words of Jesus Christ. There is hope. 
These times may be grim, but the light of Christ once again will shine in the world and the darkness, as John 1.5 says, will not overcome it. And all God's people said, Amen. Please remain standing as we confess together the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Eternal God, as the ground of all things, you hold firm amid the changes of this world. Hear us now as we pray for the church, the world, and everyone in need. Creator God, you show us the path of life. Bless faithful people everywhere with humility as they extend compassion to those who have experienced harm in religious places. Cultivate healthy congregations that tell of and live out your reconciling love. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Ever-present God, you love our universe from the beginning to end. As the seasons change, protect animals that migrate and hibernate, inspire us to work with you in preserving natural habitats so that all your creatures may thrive. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God of guidance, you write your law on human minds and hearts. Give wisdom to all elected leaders and officials to govern intelligently with insight and compassion. Make them mindful of the well-being of all people so that your world will flourish as you intended. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our rock, you are present in the midst of disaster. We remember today those who fight fires to protect our homes and livelihoods, those who stand by to respond in times of disaster and chaos, first responders, medical professionals, police and fire chiefs, deputies and volunteers. We give you thanks for their care and expertise. We ask that you help keep them out of harm's way and that you be with those who have lost their homes, hope, and livelihoods to fire. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Triune God, you live as one relationship with multiple centers of personal distinction. Enable us, made in your image, to find commonality with those whom we disagree. Unite people of diverse viewpoints in the love of Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For whom or what else do the people of God pray?
Hear our prayer. Holy God, we mention and lift up those in our weekly prayers, including Doris, Tim Porter, and the loss of his grandmother, for Frank, for the family of Bruce, for the Andercheck family, for John's son-in-law Jim, for Sibylla, for Deb, Ken and Ellen, Mary, Olga, Barb, Patty's niece Katie, Jan, Carol, Jean, Ruth, Denny, Ben, Barbara, Shana, Hildy, Bob, Almaz's brother Mulugeta, and mother Awatosh. We also remember from earlier this week our veterans who have served. We pray for them. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our beginning and our end, your beloved people shine like the brightness of the sky. We thank you for the lives of all who rest in your eternal mercy, from famous saints to the people we have loved. Assure us of your resurrection promise. Lord, in your mercy. God, our hope and strength, we entrust to you all for whom we pray. Remain with us always through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you. Almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so, with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we pray your name and join their unending hymn. Lord, 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 Lord,
In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. At this time, we invite you, if you are receiving communion, to take your communable and receive the bread and the wine at my direction. God invites you to this meal of grace. Receive the food of forgiveness. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us pray. Jesus, bread of life, we have received your food of forgiveness in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. As you have nourished us in this meal, accepting us before you without condition, strengthen us to love one another as you first loved us. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome once again, members, visitors, guests, friends of Queen Anne Lutheran to our worship service this morning. We are delighted you are with us. If you are a visitor, we invite you to fill out a blue pew card in the pew in front of you. Just wanted to highlight a few announcements. First, I want to thank our volunteers, our choir, our assisting minister, and others, our altar guild who helped put this service together. 
I also want to thank my assisting minister for good taste. When he prayed for uh, the, all of God's creatures, I put parenthetically in the prayers, except rats, ticks, and brown lacrosse spiders. Uh, but fortunately, he recognized the reverence of that moment and uh, on, <laughs> on the better side of judgment, deleted that. Uh, so, uh, grateful to, uh, to John and to all the other volunteers who have helped us, uh, our ushers as well, um, who have helped us uh, coordinate and conduct today's service. Just a few uh, notes uh, regarding announcements. Uh, congratulations first to Jim Margard, who finished the New York City Marathon, a half an hour. Yeah, I, I don't think he's here today, but... Jim will be with us on the 28th of this month when we, uh, when we formally uh, install, I guess you could say, our peace poles in the front. Uh, he uh, was instrumental in getting those planted uh, and supporting the idea. Sophie Pritchard was the one who did the artwork, and so both of them will be present uh, after the service on Sunday the 28th to, uh, to dedicate those poles. So please join us if you can. Jim finished his marathon in half an hour uh, earlier than he had anticipated, and uh, he has raised uh, in the process, thanks to the support of, of many of you, almost $8,000 to go to uh, um, uh, Afghan uh, relief uh, through the Lutheran social services. So uh, we're very thankful both to Jim and to all of you who support him either financially or in prayer. Uh, a couple other things, the November thank offerings uh, is noted there. We're also going to have a special Thanksgiving um, service. A processional offering will be taken on the 28th of November uh, at the 1030 service. And I want to just highlight something here. We've all been through a lot this year, these past two years. Lots of changes and difficulties. Loss, uh, but also um, we have much for which to be grateful. And so to honor that, uh, as well as in particular our recent confirmation of six young people, the hope that comes with the season of Advent, and a general theme of thanksgiving for all of God's blessings to us, we have the opportunity to give something back. So we invite you to do that, especially uh, on the, uh, the end of this month at our Thanksgiving service on Sunday, uh, to put us in good shape financially and to uh, give back to the church community. So please consider that. Uh, if not treasure, uh, time and talent is also welcome. Uh, are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Okay, one last thing about our forums. Uh, this morning we had a forum that I did on uh, Theology 101 based on a course I taught recently at uh, the Lutheran Seminary in Berkeley. Uh, if you're curious about that, I have extra handouts. Next week, we do not have a forum, if I'm guessing correctly, but uh, forums will be coming back uh, um, in, uh, in December. So lots happening there. You can ask anybody who attended today. Now they know how to talk about God and how to do so properly using the four sources of theological method. Uh, so it was, it was actually, I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to more. So thank you for those who attended. All right, please rise now as you are able for our blessing. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our sending hymn is O Living Bread from Heaven, number 452 in the Red Hymnal. <laughs> 